We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fellas, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to first off because what I was talking about with Sal here a minute ago was the, the salary cap and, and um, this is not going to be a free agency that we can be as aggressive you know we've been aggressive with that because we build up the resources and you can only have so many drafts you know at the end of the day we still want to draft develop and sign our own and we're getting to that point where now we don't have to go out and add pieces from free agency we've got to see how many of the guys that we can retain We'll fill in here and there some holes, but um, I would not in- anticipate uh, any blockbuster moves of, you know, Steph Diggs type or uh, some of the moves we made the year before in free agency. It's really going to be plugging some holes depending on who we lose. And then the onus is on us to really have a strong draft. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Brandon Bean from his season-ending presser talking about the importance of nailing this upcoming NFL draft. I would think that you would need to nail this draft the way the the world is. (laughs) The world is? There's COVID. You can't go anywhere. You know, there's no combine, so you can't meet face-to-face with these kids like you. Like you need to. There's a whole lot of changes, but this draft is of paramount importance to the upcoming fortunes of a team that hopes to reach the Super Bowl. We've got a packed show for you tonight, guys. We're going to dive into Dean Kindig is going to be joining us from over at uh, BillsMafia.com. DraftTech. DraftTech.com. We're going to be walking through every year we get together with Dean and we take a look at some of the scouting patterns of the Buffalo Bills over the course of a given collegiate season and over the course of an offseason to try to get an idea of where the team might be looking to spend some of its draft capital, considering how important this is to our team's overall success. And it can also help lay some of the foundation for what you think they might be looking to accomplish in free agency. It just gives you some insight to the team and how they might be thinking. We've got a great show lined up for you, but first, we got to talk about it, Chris. I'm not going to crack a fresh one. We just survived the first football this weekend of the 2021 offseason. It finally came that first weekend where there's no NCAA or NFL football. And it's almost like the re, like it's like a slowly settling in reality. <laughs> We're more than 200 days away from seeing football again. Yeah, and we don't even know how far until we can see it in person. It. It's crazy to me. I mean, I mean, think about this. I looked at my wife and I was like, "What?" it feels like a month since I saw football, maybe even a month and a half. And she goes, you know, the Bills were just playing two, <laughs> two and a half weeks ago. Two weeks ago and change, the Bills were playing. It's like, wait a minute. That's right. That's real. That's a thing. And yet it feels like just 
it feels like such an incredible amount of time since I've seen it. What, what was your experience like this weekend? It was great. Uh, uh, my girlfriend and I finished uh, season eight and nine of Letter Tanny. That's all we did. That's it? That's it. We didn't even do anything for Valentine's Day, which was awesome because I had that conversation with her. How do you want to go about February 14th? And she was like, honestly, I don't care to celebrate it. I was like, well, this is why I love you. The the closest Valentine's-ish thing that I did for her was I made breakfast for her Sunday morning, and I took three strips of bacon, and I ripped one of them and did, like, the top connecting piece of a heart. (laughs) That's, That's all I did. And Listen, letter candy. I will say I did celebrate a little bit of the Valentine's Day, but again, it's food. I made uh, Chef Gordon Ramsay's ultimate steak sandwich. Oh, I thought you were going to say Chef Boyardee's ultimate <laughs> steak sandwich. <laughs> oh, I may look like a Chef Boyardee's man, but no, Gordon Ramsay's steak fillet steak sandwich. My wife specifically requested it. It's it's incredible. You guys YouTube it. I mean, for those of you out there who, like me, are meat aficionados, YouTube it. It's not that hard. It's not as hard as, I mean, he makes it look simple, but it's not that difficult, and it's delicious. But really, I mean, this is what it came down to for me, Chris. It was two days, and I felt like I was in a, just like a zombie the entire time. I mean, first of all, an absurd amount of housework. Things that I'd been putting off for months, like detail. I was scrubbing light switch, well, light switches with a toothbrush. Uh, reorganizing closets, reorganizing the drawers in my dresser. Seems legit. Did uh, the wife help you? Yeah. Yeah, she helped here and there. Until you said that's not how you do it, (laughs) and then she left? I mean, listen, I am something of a control freak. She knows. She handles the day-to-day cleaning, and I do the detail cleaning because she knows that my mania is just, she doesn't get in the way of it. Chris, uh, oh, my kid got his first shiner. That was that was something. He's officially a gear. He got his first shiner while uh, doing something stupid. What? You hit him? No. He he's now decided that since he can stand up on everything, like he can pull himself up on things, he has to try to climb everything, including the wrought iron railing that he grabbed a hold of and then tried to walk and just took a face plant off of it before I could grab him. Hilarious though, because yeah. he sat there on the ground. He cried for about ten seconds, and I just looked at him. I go, hey. Hey, and I snap my fingers, and I go, hey, come on now. Come on. And within 15, 20 seconds, he was done crying. He was giggling. He thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, well, you know what? You're no Kyle Trimble when it comes to saving <laughs> no. your kid's face. But it was hysterical because my wife watches this. Like, she hears it. She comes running out, sees him, and then sees him giggling a few seconds later. And she's like, oh, no. He's going to be he's going to be one of you. It's like, yeah, that's right. You know the saying: if you're if you're going to be stupid, you got to be tough. Yeah, you might that might as well be my family my family mantra. I was so bored that I almost considered going to the store for a second time just out of boredom for nothing. Chris, the store. Which store? Any store. Walmart, Wegmans, just somewhere to go walk around. Men's Express. You know me. I hate crowds. I dislike most people in those sorts of settings because everybody's so self-absorbed on their own tasks and just wants and needs. I think they actually become the worst versions of themselves. I mean, I don't know if you... Chris, you do your own grocery shopping. I don't. Yeah. I hate stores. I stay away from the mall. I avoid these things. I mean, I once zip-tied a man's shopping cart to his car. I I, uh, told that to one of my friends on Facebook the other day. Yeah. He, He was driving a Honda Fit. And had this stupid look of disbelief on his face. It's like, listen, the cart returns 30 feet away. You're really going to leave it here? Yeah? Well, now this is happening. And you, get to de- and you get to deal with it. Guess what? Now you have to figure your life out while I drive away. Good luck. How many people that just heard you say that you did that are going to be like, I'm going to keep zip ties in my car now because <laughs> of what I just heard Drew did? Oh, it was the best. I zip-tied it to the rear to the rear uh, passenger side door handle, and he just looked at me. And I just looked at him, blank stare, and walked away. <laughs> there you go. Figure that out. 
dumbass. Another time, oh, I was at Wegmans. I was, I was coming up to the checkout. You know that one big aisle, how Wegmans has like an A and a B section in yeah. their aisles? And they keep the middle aisle clear because they're trying to relieve congestion. I mean, literally, that's why the alley exists. This woman with this overflowing cart of groceries, so she's probably getting close to the end of her shopping trip, sees something down an aisle and just leaves her cart in the middle of, a, and it's like a Saturday afternoon. So the place is packed. And there's just this cart in the middle of everybody taking up the aisle while she's down here looking at a box. I walking by, I had my little basket, I grabbed her cart, and it was funny because the Frito-Lay guy who was standing there stacking the chips got these big eyes when he saw me take it because he knew it wasn't mine. And he's like, oh, shit, it's happening. Someone's doing it. Yeah, because he wants to do it but can't because he's on the clock. I took her cart to the farthest corner of the store over by the seafood and just left it there. <laughs> <laughs> just left it there. I don't have the temperament for those sorts of people and those sorts of places. But I was going to go wander around Walmart voluntarily just to f- just for something to do. Yeah, I would I would say you should when you get like that, you should go to Wegmans because half the time you come over here. And if I have some like, I don't know how much of our audience knows about you and your condiments, but like you might come into my fridge and well, where'd you get this salsa from? Wegmans. Do you look when you go shopping? I don't go shopping. Yeah, so go to Wegmans and just just stake out the condiment section. That's and then, what you should do. And then last night was probably, even though it wasn't technically the weekend, last night was probably the biggest kick in the head of all because I kind of had was holding out hope that the return of Sabres hockey might kind of help, kind of patch over this... Sportsless, you know, this footballless month and a half, two, three, four months before anything significant happens. But if a weekend with no football feels like a post apocalyptic wasteland, trying to pay attention to that tire fire of a team is just some dystopian hellscape, kind of like Mad Max and The Walking Dead combined. It's brutal. It's brutal. I mean, they're lucky, they're, they're lucky there's no fans allowed in the arena because I don't know that anyone would pay to see that. In person. No. What is it? Last night they tied a franchise. What was it? The fourth time in franchise history. They went a whole period while trailing without taking a single shot on net. Yeah, seems legit. (laughs) My wife loves this hockey team and watches every game. And it's killing me because I just end up angry at the repetitive nature of how much they suck. I, I just don't understand. I've started saving my podcast prep. Four nights when there's hockey games on, so I can just steer away from it. I mean, Chris, we're in it. We're in the we're in the doldrums, man. There's no hope for us, is there? Uh, no combine. No, no. <laughs> there's there, there's nothing. There's there's nothing coming anytime soon. No, the what the east, west, north, south, <laughs> senior bowl, whatever games that have already been played. No combine, only pro days. What about you guys? What do our listeners spend their weekend doing? What are you guys going to do? What are your coping mechanisms for no football? Weather's crap. There's nowhere to go. I can't. It's hard to even do barbecue or grill anything or do anything like cook anything cool outside because the weather. What do our listeners do? Tweet at us at Rockpile Report and let us know. (laughs) Now, Chris, the draft is important. That's, I think, the draft. Very important. And it might be the only thing we have left to look forward to. I mean, we talked with Paul Wineski. Typically, we have the free agency deadline, right? Yeah. But who even knows what that's going to look like? I mean, we're, we've, it's going to take weeks to sort out whether or not there's even going to be action, or at least as much action as there normally is around that time, when you consider that teams may not even know what the salary cap is until... Yeah. Right now, it, it seems that the... It's odd that it seems like the trade market is more heavy than free agency. Mostly because – why do you think, though? Well, it's a lot of – because there's going to be a bunch of quarterback movement. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson, uh, the Jets, with uh, Sam Darnold. There's like a ton – and we've already had Matt Stafford move on to mm-hmm. to L.A., <clears throat> so I think a lot of it is the, the quarterback carousel. Well, quarterback carousel, but also picture this. In a year where you don't know what the salary cap is going to be, 
which could make wagering on player services and free agency difficult. Wouldn't it be nice to just get a player whose contract is already negotiated? Yes. There's an advantage to that. So I think you're going to hear more trade talk for players than you normally would in most typical off-seasons. But so in that way, the draft kind of becomes, I don't know, the draft's the one thing we have to look forward to at this point because I don't even know what free agency is going to look like. And now, luckily for us, we have this podcast. And over the next month and a half, things on that uh, Things on the free agency front will heat up over time, both in free agency and as we head to the draft. And over the next two months, what do you think, two months and change, our draft prep series? Yeah. We have a slew of guests who will come in here, help us pick apart the various position groups, talk about fits for the Bills. We'll try to narrow it down to who might fit our roster best, players we like. But as we always do, before we start that, I think it's worth laying the groundwork of our scouting activity. And talking about where our team seems like it's been the most active this over the course of the collegiate season. And so with that in mind, I want to welcome one of our longest tenured recurring guests. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let me pour some bourbon on ice as we bring in Mr. Dean Kindig. Dean, how are you doing this evening? Pretty good. We're digging out from seven inches of snow and um, just thankful I don't live in Austin, Texas. <laughs> Dean, yeah, you're, you were telling us off air your son lives in Austin and they're, they're really taking a beating down there, according to his latest, uh, latest report, right? That's right. A lot of, uh, a lot of people are uh, without power and a lot of people are without um, warm water, electricity, what you name it. Well, for any of our listeners who happen to be down there, God bless, Godspeed, get, find shelter. Do, you know, hopefully, you guys are doing well and staying safe. Now, for those of you who've been living under a rock and don't know who Dean is, Dean, writer for formerly BillsMafia.com, until right up until the team scooped the trademark for that, something that got some. <laughs> Got some people's hair up around here. Uh, BuffaloFanBase.com. He's a contributor over there, and he's also heavily involved. Are you? What is your exact title with Draft Tech again? I'm uh, the Bills analyst and managing editor at uh, Draft Tech. Man, so dra- why don't you explain to our listeners a little bit what Draft Tech is, just to get everybody on the same page? We have 32 team analysts, and we have some people that are in charge of a big board, and we actually have the analysts decide what the needs for the each team is the draft tech computer runs the draft we get a preliminary readout of what the mock draft looks like and team analysts can pass on it they can grab players whatever they want we are able to after every trade we can turn on a dime and put up a new uh, a new mock draft it's right now it's seven rounds long and two the first two rounds are commented See, and, and uh, for people who like mock drafts and are into that kind of stuff, Draft Tech is a really good resource because it's kind of it's something that you guys are con- it's constantly evolving. It's a, it's almost like a living document, and that you guys are constantly updating it, adding your expertise and just the different things that you've studied about the draft, about what you know of a team's needs. And one of the things that you know so that you do so well is you really do track the movements of our scouting department and the different places they go and the games they attend. To kind of set the table for where their interests might be or what the team might be kicking the tires on. And that's why I love doing this. It's why we love getting together with you every year. Um, 2020, 
before I, I, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. First of all, 2020 Bills season goes by, and it's a weird one because you are like you're a mainstay. You are a fixture at Bills training camp over at St. John Fisher, and then this year there is no training camp at St. John Fisher. What was that like? For probably had to be the first time in what at least six, seven, eight years. It was really hard. I, I'm I live five minutes from uh, from St. John Fisher, and my wife drops me off, and I, I walk in every day, and some of my same peeps are there every day. I take about seven pages of notes on every practice, and I was un, unable to do that this year, um, and I missed it. I, I missed my peeps, and I you know that's a big hole. In in uh, everybody likes to everybody likes to do the projections because every team is undefeated at the beginning. You know? Oh, for sure. No, and I'll tell you. I mean, Chris and I lived some of that too. I mean, that's why I wanted to hear about how you kind of f- f- found your way through that because Chris and I, as season ticket holders, this year was brutal. Knowing that this was the season that we wanted, like this is why we've been season ticket holders for ten years. <laughs> and then this season comes. And I can't be there for it. And it just left this big gaping hole in, I mean, thank God the season went as well as it did. Because if it was another, if it was another 2019, I really think it would have, would you agree with that, Chris? I think if the season had gone more like 2019, rather than the team being as dominant as it was, I think we would have felt the loss of those home games and that tailgating and all the camaraderie and things like that. We would have missed that more. Yeah, I could also picture you actually ripping the bleachers out of the cement at some point. <laughs> listen, it hasn't happened yet. It's probably not going to because, listen, I get older every year. My my back, my shoulders, I'm falling apart. The days of uh, the Hulk drew gear, I think they're pretty much over. Now, in terms of this year's training camp... Has there been any indication that you may, like, they may be going back to St. John Fisher? Or is there any concern on your end that this may become a permanent fixture of how the Bills do business? We're, we're not too sure because the contract ends after the next season. So Sean McDermott always pays lip service to the fact that he likes to get away and he feels that there's more bonding. And that's part of the process. That's my only hope is that they keep it there. Um, it also has some commercial value in in spreading the uh, bill's love down the throughway oh for uh, sure i mean for everyone who hates russ brandon i mean the man wasn't great at a lot of things he took on a lot of roles he wasn't suited for but one thing he did was he very much regionalized the buffalo bills he engaged the rochester market in a way that nobody else had tried to do and i think uh, dean you can probably speak to how how many more people are energized in the fan base because of his efforts? Uh, Russ Brandon was a St. John Fisher graduate, and that had a lot to do with it. He had friends in high places, and so uh, that that was part of the reason that it continued. You know, that reason doesn't exist anymore. Of course, you know we don't. Ha- they wouldn't have to stay there because of, of Russ Brandon working there. So <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be interesting to see what what happens there. I, I was going to say that the Bills did get to ten games this year, and and they visited um, a number of colleges uh, that I know of through through some of my sources. It didn't seem as that that there was less information, if you will. Um, part of it was that we were we were all at home during COVID, and we were doing research. So. Well, that was going to be one of my, I mean, I guess if we want to dive into this conversation, it's the scouting visits. I mean, for you guys, it's one of the more easily traceable pieces of information out there is finding out through your back channels where our scouts have been, where they were visiting. Now, this offseason is going to be a mess because of what's, what's a lot of what's been being scouted had to be done virtually. With state restrictions, some some college teams not allowing fans, specifically small schools, which I think when I looked over your data, I think that that kind of speaks to that. There's a lot of small schools that didn't get a lot of love. And some of that's just based on their own policies in regards to attendance at these types of things. And then others wouldn't allow out of staters or people who haven't quarantined for weeks. I mean, COVID really did a number on this. And this seems like it's been one of the wonkiest scouting seasons in my lifetime. Now, you, as someone who, who 
dabbles in this stuff and really kind of makes it your work, you'd have to agree that this there hasn't been a, a season where scouting details are probably this hard to find, right? We can look at history. We can see well, where, uh, where Bean has drafted in the past, and nobody, nobody drafts better on day three than, than Brandon Bean. It's the Tyler Bass from Georgia Southern. It's uh, Daryl Johnson, Bam Johnson from uh, North Carolina A&T. It's uh, Saran Neal from Jacksonville State. Who pulls these out on day, on day three? Well, and that's it. And I think that that's, it's really going to shape how this draft shakes out. I mean, Greg Thompson from over at Cover One put out a tweet today that made me laugh. And it had the big flashing red lights, and it just said, 2021 draft alert. And essentially, in fact, here, I can read it because I took a screenshot of it. It made, it made me chuckle so hard. It says, 2021 NFL draft warning. Prepare yourself for multiple holy expletive. How did this guy drop to the X round? How, into Insert round here. This will be by far the highest variance draft in history from team to team on their draft boards and valuations. So brace yourselves to be shocked a lot. Now, I think a lot of that would have to do with the fact that, to your point, like, Brandon Bean seems to unearth these gems late in drafts, but that's, that speaks to the depth of scouting that his department does and the way that they kind of dig deeper into some of these smaller schools where people aren't paying attention and trying to find some diamonds in the rough. This year, that's been complicated. So, But at the same time, you don't know what teams are prioritizing and who they're looking at or where they're spending their time. You start with the fact that uh, that over the three drafts that Bean has set the board, he's he's drafted seven ACC players, and uh, Pac-12 and SEC are tied for uh, second place with three. Those three conferences account for more draft picks than all the other conferences combined. See, so, and that's funny to me, Dean, because the premier the previous regime before he got here. Definitely leaned yeah. towards the SEC, and then they dabbled in the ACC yep. when they. I mean, I mean, it, but the results were really mixed. I mean, Chris, I'm going to run some. I'm going to hit you with some names: Cyrus Quanjo, Alabama; Marcel <laughs> Darius, Alabama; Reggie Ragland, Alabama. Ah, Roll time. Oh no, <laughs> that hurts me, and that hurts my soul. Two of them didn't make it more than two seasons in a Bills uniform, and the other guy got so stoned he decided to be try to be a trendsetter. By making the boat captain thing happen. Guess what, Barcel? It didn't work. <laughs> Wasn't Quancho naked in the field? Yeah, there was a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's gone on here. Reggie Ragland got traded. I bought Darius's. Darius's jersey is one of the last ones I've purchased. Like, purchased from the Bills store. Just because I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't bear the heartbreak anymore. And then they also just, looked at the... Eight, what were you going to say, Dean? Just pronounce it differently. Just say D... Are us. DRS. <laughs> and then the ACC. The whole 2000. Listen to this. You want to talk about the ACC? The former regime under Doug Whaley, they drafted the whole 2015 draft class from the ACC. Failed. There you go. Three of the first four 2014 draft picks. Failed. Mm-hmm. EJ Manuel in 2013. Failed. But wait, yep. EJ had hands. His hand size he had was giant hands. He had I know. Giant hands. You remind me of this constantly, and this is my biggest argument against hand size meaning anything. Meanwhile, to your point, Dean, Brandon Bean all over the map, smattering of Power Five conferences, but he has kind of leaned away from that. Which a part of me, because I watch so much SEC football, I say to myself, "This is stupid." There's so many playmakers to be had, and yet Bean's doing a great job. Just kind of dabbling in different Power Five conferences and throwing in small schools like FAU and Weber, Weber State. I didn't even know they were real. I had to Google that. I thought it was a. Is that where Tehran came from? Yeah. And then Tehran getting hit in the head in the combine. Oh, that too. That yeah. dropped his draft stock. <laughs> so here's the thing, Dean, and this is why I think to the to the point that was made in the intro to tonight's show. In 2020, the Bills mostly, when you look at their draft, stuck to the Power Five. Iowa, Big Ten, Oregon State, Pitt. I mean, outside of our phenom rookie kicker, Tyler Bass, and wide receiver Gabe Davis, 
those are the only two small conference guys they drafted. Now, in your history of studying this, is that atypical that Brandon Bean over his tenure here, do, do you think that it was kind of par for the course as to how he does things in terms of staying with the bigger conferences and kind of staying away from the SEC? I think a couple of things have happened. One, one is that the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is being is interesting to him, and the Big Ten just drafted his first Big Ten player, uh, AJ. Where did they go this year? They they went to the Big Ten. Um, they went to Penn State three times. If you look there, you got the best linebacker in a decade in Micah Parsons. He's going to be long gone by the time we pick. That's what I said about Ed Oliver, though. Pat Fryermuth, Jason Awe. Oh, yeah. No, they've got players over there at, at uh, Penn State. And I guess that's the thing is it's weird to see a GM who's looking around in places that I guess I'm just not used to. Because the since we started doing this podcast, I started really paying attention to these sorts of things. I guess I thought Doug Whaley, I've watched his, and I have to go back and I guess compare it to previous GMs before him. But I feel like most of those guys were just, Dean, don't take this personally. Because I think I think you're sharp. But I think that a lot of our GMs, the, the Buddy Nixes of the world, the Marv Levies of the world, I don't think they were GMs so much as they were just they were just elderly figureheads <laughs> that the Bills could trot out there and say, this guy's our GM, and he's going to make some picks. This isn't ageism, Dean. I'm not coming down on I'm older people. I'm just saying. I yeah. don't know if there yeah. was a whole – I mean, he did trade up – Nix did trade up for TJ Graham. That's – that's a real thing that happened. <laughs> we, but so when I look back at this past draft, and I guess this is what underscores why this draft has to when when Brandon Bean makes comments about how we have to hit this draft and everyone goes, yeah, well, no, no kidding. No shit, genius. Everybody has to hit every draft. When you look at the results that came from just this last draft and take a step back, because the, Chris, the team was good. We were great. Okay. This past year, we were a great football team in 2020. How much of that would you say the rookies did for you? I would say... If the, I asked you at first glance, just off the cuff, how important were our rookies last year? I, I would say most important rookie was Gabe Davis. Okay. Because we were able to go four wide. Well, let me run the... Tyler let me Bass. Let me run, Tyler Bass. Now, Gabe Davis, number one. Tyler Bass, number two. Zach Moss gave Singletary a breather and was actually uh, get, had a higher yards per carry uh, in a couple of games this year. So I would give those three. If you run this back statistically, this is what we got out of our rookie draft class this year. 14 total touchdowns. 14. 714 receiving yards. 554 rushing. Six passes defended, one sack, and four tackles for loss. And if you include Bass, 241 total points. On rookies, Chris. Yeah. That, in retrospect, when you put it in those terms, tell me this draft wasn't a home run. Yeah, what was also a home run was your reaction to the Bills drafting AJ. Oh God, yeah, I, I tanked our draft show, <laughs> Dean. I got, I was real angry that they didn't take uh, the running back from Ohio State. Uh, oh yeah, Dobbins. Dobbins. I, I thought it was a no brainer to take Dobbins, but I think they like Moss, and it, it'll prove out over time whether that was the correct move or not. But when you put it into those terms of those stats, last year's draft could be considered a home run. Even if they didn't come away with guys like look at Bass, who we talked about it at the end of the he was my rookie of the year when we handed out our annual superlatives because of how many how, not just what he did, but how many long term veterans long time NFL because kicking's a hard thing. Rookies rarely make it. The Patriots drafted Justin Rohrwasser before we drafted Tyler Bass. Bass. Yeah. Tyler Bass. I think finished top 10 for points for kickers. And Rohrwasser was on their practice squad. Rohrwasser couldn't play. It's incredibly hard for rookie kickers to make a break in the NFL. I mean, Adam Vinatieri holding on to his job into his 40s speaks to how hard it is to find young kickers. 
<laughs> That's, so him emerging the way that he did as a household name. And then a lot of them, I, I mean, there's not a lot of guys who came out of that class who you'd think of as, you know, Chris, oh my God, this guy blew the roof off of it. But they got production out of everyone. Yeah. Pretty much everybody they drafted, they got production from. And now the Bills are entering a pivotal offseason in which they don't have a ton of cap space, which is just circumstance. And their conference opponents all have their own problems to deal with, with far less flexibility than Buffalo, which is what we discussed last week with Paul Wineski of Hashtag Sports. Another draft like this one that could yield these types of results there's no doubt in my mind that the Bills would be one of our conference's toughest outs every single week. Yeah. Is this where you would put, you personally would put Bills and Super Bowl in the same sentence? Maybe. Maybe. But before we can start coming up with our own offseason schedule, dude, before we can start making proclamations like Super Bowl, and even trying to determine which draft positions might be most impactful to preview. I mean, that's, that was your idea, Chris, and it's been a home run, is that every year we tier, Dean, as we preview different position groups, we try to lean towards the ones the team are most likely to draft. We push those towards the draft, like April, and we do the ones that they're least likely to draft in March. That, yeah, well, Chris we, is a producer. He comes up with these things. Well, we do have a, we do have a secret bet because you sent me your like off-season rundown, and you didn't have linebacker listed as part of our, of our draft show. And then you were like, oh, you were just like, oh, I don't think we're going to draft a linebacker. It's like, well, Milano's a free agent. I was like, secret respect that we'll draft a linebacker this year. But we don't know what's going to happen with Milano. I mean, that's a, a whole different thing for a whole nother show. But, I mean, I think linebacker is going to be a position we may draft somewhere. And, I don't know where, though. But, and this is why we turn to you, Dean. These types of conversations is why we love you. Because we can turn to you and go, hey, where did the Bills spend their time? Where were their eyeballs this season? And who do you, what positions, what players, who might they be looking at? And so this is why we get together every year. And I just want to jump right into it. First of all, you hit it on the head. Penn State, more scouting attention than any other team. And it surprised me because they got more attention than Alabama, SEC powerhouse. They got more attention than what Clemson. They got more. Never, never, never had a scout at one of the games until the uh, until the national con- uh, conference games. You know the the playoffs. The game. Was that was that Correct. for was that for Clemson and Alabama or Clemson or Alabama? Which one? Well, no, just Clemson. They've been to Alabama. They went to Alabama. But fewer times than Penn State. They didn't scout Clemson at all in the regular season. They stayed away from some of the nation's hottest teams. And it's interesting to me. Were you surprised when you went through that data? There were a couple of schools that had never been scouted before that were scouted this year. That that was a surprise to me. They had never been to Florida State until Marvin Wilson, one tech, appeared on the scene. So that that. There's a surprise. They went to Tulsa twice. Guess who's in Tulsa? Linebacker Zayvon Collins. He right now is on Draft Tech's uh, board at 30. Guess where we're drafting? <laughs> now, that's another one. The last five trips that the Bills made, you know, games or visits, were to schools that have linebacker, one tech, and cornerbacks. So those, those three, I think, are fresh in their minds. They, they went to Michigan, Michigan State, Texas A&M, Oklahoma State, uh, and Ohio State. They all have linebackers, um, and most of them have cornerbacks. I'm going to be drinking that Seagram's. I, I have a bad feeling about this. I have yeah. a bad feeling already. Surprising that they went to, the Dean said they went to Florida State. You'd think they would still be butthurt over E.J. Manuel that they haven't been back since. Listen, new GMs, new GMs. <laughs> you don't take the job of GM if you don't think you're smarter than the guy who had the job before you. Now, here's one of the things, and for our listeners, this is why I love going over his the information Dean has to give. Because when I saw Penn State standing out as kind of this outlier in terms of how much attention the Bills had given them, I said, well, that sounds crazy. But then I go online and I start searching, okay, Penn State 2021 draft class. 
According to pieces I found published by Pro Football Network, even Sports Illustrated, going back to this past summer, before the college season even started, Penn State was quietly set to field one of the best draft classes in college football. I mean, elite linebacker talent, which has always been a Penn State staple, right? I mean, there's always been good linebackers who played for Paul Puzlesny. <laughs> Tight ends, multiple edge rushers, offensive linemen, running backs. They're calling it potentially one of the best classes in their school's history, with as many as six players currently being mocked as going in the first three rounds. For them, that's a giant step up, and even though it didn't translate onto the field this season, I think that that's why you as a GM are spending more time paying attention to that, and it makes those players incredibly interesting. Wouldn't you agree? Even in the later rounds, you've got some people that that you might draft. Um, one is a, a speedy slot guy and kick returner, Jahan Dotson. He, he's at uh, Penn State. And Chaka Tony, who, who could go anywhere from round three to round five. Those are two rounds we actually have a pick in. Oh, those so, are two, yeah, saying, two rounds we have a pick in and two needs we have. You know, kick returner in the in in the and again, this is all kind of laying the foundation for what are their thoughts into free agency? Because you just mentioned two names: Shaka Tony is an edge defender, and uh, this kick returner. Well, you've got a guy in. You have a known quantity in uh, what's your favorite wide receiver's name? Jesus, I'm blanking on it. Cole Beasley. No, uh, Isaiah McKenzie. No, I hate that guy. I know you do. So this is my point. You have a known quantity here in Isaiah McKenzie. You have a punt returner who's on the wrong side of 30 and only getting older. But he's been consistently impactful. But when you watch the New England Patriots, they were the best at getting out of a player's contract before it was too late. Or getting away from a player before he hit the wall and before age caught up to him. So with that in mind... This could be an extension of them kind of signaling, hey, there's some fluidity to this kick returner position here for the Buffalo Bills, which I find interesting because maybe it opens up a job for McKenzie or maybe they go to the draft and they say, look, we don't want to pay a McKenzie. We think we could find a more explosive player with more long term upside and multiple roles if we were to go into the draft. I, I love this stuff. They went to Ole Miss, too. And Elijah Moore is there. We, he's in our top 100. And he is kick returner, punt returner, and slot. Remember that Beasley is is also on the wrong side of 30. Yes. I mean, and uh, he did have some injury uh, difficulties. So maybe maybe that's your guy. Injury and difficulties, would... understood. The guy broke his leg and played through the playoffs. Chris, that guy, if, if there was a single yep. wide receiver that I want to see play in a Bills uniform until he retires, it's that guy. Now, yep. changing gears from the ones that were scouted most heavily, Here's one of the things that I thought was interesting when I looked at your numbers and your data that you sent me on your war, your war chart. It was interesting to see the number of players that played at schools that they scouted multiple times last year that are now involved in this draft and play positions that the Bills might be in need for. I mean, the two that stand out are like uh, University of South Carolina's J.C. Horn and yeah. uh, TCU's Trevin, uh, what is it, Merrig? Yeah. So one's a weak side linebacker coming out of TCU. He's he's right. he's being talked about as a top 50 pick. And J.C. Horn, talking about a, he's a guy who's been touted as a, a good outside boundary corner. Now, these are guys who got scouted multiple times last year who are now up for this year's draft. I mean, both players would fit curtain needs, and they're guys that they've already had scouting visits based on previous things. I mean, it wouldn't take a huge effort just to check on the development of those players based on film, based on tape that's out there virtually. I mean, what are what are the odds they're still keeping tabs on guys like that? Totally. This is one of the best personnel uh, groups that we have. One one thing to keep in mind is that Doug Majeski is, is sort of the director of, of college scouting, and he's in the West. So this year you got Isaiah Hodgins and Zach Moss from the Pac-12. This could be a, a change, you know. Mountain West, you have a, a school called Wyoming that you get a quarterback. <laughs> That's fair. That is fair. I, you know what? That's the thing. You want to throw shade on it, Chris, until it doesn't work. Uh, or, or, I mean, until it works. And then you go, well, wait a minute. 
We got a quarterback. He looks pretty darn good. You've got some players now that you're starting to unearth from these places, and you go, hey, Zach Moss, he wasn't nobody. Well, why don't we pay a little bit more attention to a place like TCU? Why don't we pay a little bit more attention to schools we haven't scouted out there that maybe need some attention? And then to me, one of the things that stuck out like a sore thumb when I looked over the draft tech rankings of players and you kind of color coding them as to who the Bills have looked at, who they've scouted the most, like what schools or at least what schools they've attended in games where our guys were there with eyes on players was the volume of scouting that seems to have been done of teams and players who have talents that are viewed as early day two picks, you know, second and third round guys. In fact, it's funny because there's a stark disparity of that group compared to first round talents. I mean, this is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, it indicates that the trade back out of the first round that people have been clamoring for since the season ended might be a realistic option, or maybe it's something that they're mulling over in their heads because they're saying, look, we've scouted a a handful of prospects that might go in the first round because we know where we are at the back half. But even then, we only gave them cursory attention. We gave one visit to Alabama. We gave one visit to another school. Parsons got a lot of attention because he was at Penn State, but we know he's not going to be there when we draft. So with that in mind, it's interesting to see the work that they that they put into that second and third round to the point where multiple schools with multiple draftable players in that range have all been scouted a ton. And I like that. I think that a trade back could benefit this team long term, even though I've talked about wanting, hey, if you think that there's a spark plug, look, people talk about drafting a running back. Dean, have you seen any of these arguments on social media about drafting or not drafting a first-run running back? Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So what's your opinion on draft, just in philosophy, of drafting a first-run running back? There are a lot of fish in the sea that are, that are tried and true that are, that are going to be free agents this year. That's going to cause running back to drop. The, the Bills must feel the same way about this because they, uh, out of the top ten draft tech running backs, the Bills only saw five in the last three years. Three of them in the current uh, draft class. That would be Kylan Hill, Javante Williams, and Trey Sermon. I didn't name Najee. I I think there's a reason for that. I don't think he's going to um, interview terribly well. The the ones that got the most out of the top 100, strangely enough, were wide receivers. So I looked into that, and and they saw eight out of the top ten slot receivers three this year, Anthony Schwartz, Jahan Dotson from Penn State, and Jalen Waddell. Everybody says, well, he was injured. He's still top 10, isn't he? We'll see somebody drop. I, I can I can name you 42 players that are going to be in the first round. <laughs> right, exactly. Depending on who you're talking to, that first round changes. And here's what I liked. When I looked over your list of guys that they've spent all of this time Chris, we talked about this in the Sailor Cap Show, about how offense, there's such a learning curve to learning how to play NFL offense that when you draft a player, it's usually for long-term upside, unless they're in the top 10 on offense, right? Yeah. Okay. So when you look over this list of names, there was a ton of defensive players, specifically players in the defensive front seven, that make up a list of guys scouted on multiple occasions that I think Bills fans would love. I mean... Defensive tackle Tyler Shelvin, who's become incredibly popular among Bills Mafia. Trench warriors like Creed Humphrey and Alabama's Landon Dickerson. Guys who bring physicality. I mean, Landon Dickerson, I'll say this. Before we even, I can't wait to talk to Russ Brown about this during our offensive line preview show. Because anybody out there who thinks that, I love John Feliciano because he brings sandpaper and toughness. You watch Landon Dickerson play football, you're going to have to go home and take a cold shower. That that guy is an animal. And then multiple pass rushers with productive NCAA careers like uh, Pittsburgh's Patrick Jones or oh, even though, uh, what is it, uh, away from from Penn State. He's, he's a little light in the jeans, but he's 
he gets stats. And so depending on what you see him as. When you say light in the jeans, are we saying light in the jeans like Aaron Maben? Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> ironically enough, they went to the same college. Um, linebacker prospects, to my chagrin, knowing that I'm going to probably end up drinking a Seagram's on this, they can fit the needs of a defense potentially moving on from a star and looking for another cheap replacement. Guys like Jabri, anyone from Jabril Cox, who's being talked about as a, one of the better prospects, Nick Bolton from Mizzou, even some safeties that could convert to linebacker the way uh, Matt Milano did. Like that Hamza Nisildren or uh, LSU's Jacoby Stevens. It's interesting to see that this is where. <laughs> I mean, the fact that there's so many draft eligible talents that the Bills have had multiple instances of scouting activity on who all fall in that second and third round range, I mean, it's a three to one ratio compared to any other round, which makes me think they're considering hey, we know. Now, we heard it from Brandon Bean in the intro. He knows the importance of this draft, given the salary cap situation. That tells me that there may be a proclivity not just to trade back into the second round out of the first round, but to trade maybe back into the third round. If some of the guys that they or to hope that in that fourth round, someone's going to be there who trickles out of that group. I mean, we've seen Bean trade up into the back end of the third round when they think Hey, position groups. I mean, that's how Dawson Knox got here. Was that they said, "Look, position groups are getting thin." Dawson Knox is the last tight end that we have a grade of. Uh, hey, here's a guy who can come out and play significant snaps. This could be a year where you see the Bills trading back and making two, three, maybe even four picks in that second and third round range. I mean, is that crazy to you based on what you've researched? As a matter of fact, I was looking at that speed, size, and physicality uh, angle that. Bean kept talking about, and I said, how does that fit if you sorted all of the uh, linebackers? What would it look like? Uh, who would come out on top and that, that sort of thing in, the, in that speed, size, and physica- physicality thing? It's Micah Parsons at number one. You probably haven't heard of too many uh, down below that. K.J. Britt from Auburn got multiple looks, because Auburn did. Another one, I think, is Isaiah McDuffie. He's a weak side linebacker at Boston College. And <laughs> Boston College. You haven't heard of him. But his tackles per game are more than Micah Parsons. Could, could you grab, wouldn't it be interesting if you had grabbed Isaiah McDuffie from Boston College to replace a guy from Boston College? No, and that's, to know that there's talents there and that they've paid attention and that they're, it seems very much like they're lining up to take multiple swings in those rounds. It, it makes me feel good because it it just means that I, I'm not a fan of the first round of the draft because I feel like, Chris, first round draft picks, you're expected to contribute immediately. Well, if you're in the top 10, we're at what? What are we picking at? 30, 28? Yeah. And so my point is, is once you get outside of 20, how many of those guys actually go on to make an immediate impact? Not a lot. I'd rather have more darts to throw at a board then draft a guy unless it's running back. And this is where my philosophy runs counter to a lot of Bills fans. If a guy like Najee Harris was there, we've already gone on record and talked about how running back contracts aren't worth the paper they're printed on. Second deals for running backs are useless, in my opinion. But the numbers support that. There's so many great, I mean, so many of the great running back performances being put out in the NFL right now are all happening still on rookie deals. And once you see teams signing these running backs to long-term contracts, you see the overall balance of the team decline because you're sinking money into a position where it's just not its just not necessary because you can still get, as long as you draft well, you can still get production. But if you could get a guy kind of like how KC with the last pick of the draft last year to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, that's important. Yep. Because you think about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, now you have a fifth-year option on a running back. You look at what happened to the Tennessee Titans this past year. They drafted Derrick Henry in the second round. They didn't have a, a mechanism to keep him under contract at an inflated price. So they had no choice but to franchise tag him, which then, now that you've tagged him, sets the floor for where your negotiation begins. That's a problem especially if you're trying to be a cap-solvent team long-term. So 
to me, having a fifth-year option in lieu of a tag is way more advantageous if you think this is a running back who could make it to a year five. I'd rather have that than try to screw around the middle rounds to find a premier running back and then have no choice but to go to the franchise tag and long-term deal route in order to get that fifth year. I just that That's just how I feel. If that opinion is out there, it's going to devalue running backs in the draft. Therefore, you'll be able to get them later on. My hopes and dreams is that somebody like uh, Javante Williams gets to us at 93 in the in round three. He interviews well. He runs. He's going to run a 4.35 uh, 40. He's 220 pounds, and and he's one of the better receiving backs in the draft. There's a good example. He had the he had the highest uh, yards per carry versus AP ranked teams last year uh, in 2019. And you know they're using 2019 film. Oh, for sure, especially in a year like this. And now, before we let you go, the numbers, the, the, the position group trends and numbers. You sent us some data. I sent you a chart. I mean, Chris, Dean and I love charts. Yeah, you guys love charts. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Dean, I waterboard Chris with charts on a weekly basis, and he just gets annoyed by them. So I love right. talking to somebody else who loves data analysis, trend analysis. We are, we are nerds. Last year, the Bills' second most heavily scouted position was wide receiver. That that came from you and your data that you gave us when you joined us on yep. that on our preseason podcast or pre-draft podcast. Have a good and, memory. And despite trading away their first-round draft pick for a wide receiver, they still selected not one but two prospects at that position. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So. In that way, the numbers game for the Buffalo Bills seems to be sort of a tipping of the hand in terms to their plans. So what were some of the number trend, volume scouting, that stood out to you? I mean, you mentioned linebackers. Is there anybody else? Any other positions? Yeah, I looked at the top 10 with the lowest 40 times of the DBs because it seemed that they were looking at a lot of them. Out of the top 10, the Bills have scouted nine of the top 10 with the lowest 40 times. I'm doing in, interviews now to see who interviews the best, and I, I think the best CB isn't going to make it to us. That's Patrick Sertain. The best safety outside linebacker combo plate is Jacoby Stevens. He, he should be available even, even in round three. And then the best free safety cornerback uh, versatile guy would be Trill Williams at Syracuse. All of those make sense. And the late one that they're looking at, I think, is Rodarius Williams of uh, Oklahoma State and how he stacks up against Ify Melifonwu uh, of Syracuse. It'd be a dream for Syracuse to have two Buffalo Bills in the draft. It could happen uh, round, round two, round three. Now, here's one thing. We talked about last week in our salary cap show. The Bills would be better served spending money on the offensive side of the ball instead of the defense and using the draft to backfill those defensive needs, considering how plug-and-play those guys are. And the steep learning curve that rookies find on offense. So with that in mind, when I look over your numbers, a lot of them that the Bills have scouted play in the front seven. I mean, nine defensive tackles, six different edge players, and that's just guys who are being drafted in the top four or five rounds. Nine, six, 15 linebackers. (laughs) Chris, the Seagram's bet seems to be more and more of a sure thing. Oh, no. And then... Well, I'll say this. And of those, what's impressive is that unlike other position groups, the majority of the players scouted all seem to fall according to draft community consensus, like you guys over at Draft Tech, in those top three rounds of the draft, mostly second and third round. That would seem to coincide with the team's needs and also indicate the fact that they're rebuilding those positions on the cheap, kind of like they did the wide receiver room over the last few years, although they, they paid in free agency for those. Maybe it's time they start, like you said, they scouted wide receiver heavily. Linebacker, defensive tackle, edge. These are guys where they've paid players over the last handful of years. Now maybe this is the draft where they go in and say, we need to start put a significant effort into backfilling some of these spots. Looking at it by age or, or by position room, the two oldest rooms right now is um, offensive line, and wide receiver. Well, 
They like experience. That's one of those things. I mean, what was it? Uh, didn't uh, Paul was telling us they drafted primarily uh, seniors their first year because they liked right. experience because they need they knew they, that first draft was gonna, it was going to be tough sledding and they needed guys with experience under their belts because they didn't think underclassmen would have it between the ears to just be mentally sharp, stay the course. They knew 2018 was going to be it was going to be a rough year. And they needed guys who they thought were mentally tough enough to sustain the grind. That is going to be interesting how that junior, senior, how the makeup of the experience plays into this. Now, is there anything else, any other trends or anything else you want to make note of? I mean, I, I know that you were talking about at one point how you've been charting the interview process. That's right. The BuffaloFanBase.com. I've done three position groups already. One's coming out tomorrow, and then another one will be out the next day. I'm getting my work done. There, there are a couple of things that people ought to keep in mind. When Bean enters the draft, all of the positions will be filled by a body. And that looking at current needs is sometimes a, a tricky science because how do you know what Trey Adams is or is not going to develop into at, at offensive tackle? Only, only Bean knows for sure. Are we really going to need a defensive line one tech? Are we going to cruise in there with, uh, with Lotulale since we have to pay him anyway? Is he going to offer him a lower price, you know, to, to, to play? Is he going to be franchised? You know, we don't know any of this. So keep that in mind. When you, you see mock drafts, there might be other things at work behind the curtain that we don't know. Oh, for sure. But I'll, I'll say this. Much to the points we were just making, you po- so you sent us the latest mock draft from over at DraftTech.com, which we're going to tell Bill Sands, go check this out. Because everything we've been talking about, how the front seven needs to be rebuilt, we know that. Watching last year's, watching, Chris, watching the AFC championship game, this this defense needs something, right? Yeah. Especially when you our offense, yeah, they need some help. But the defense needs some teeth, and it needs some youth, and we have to get cheaper while still being effective on that side of the ball. It's worth noting a couple, a lot of the names we talked about tonight: Zayvon Collins, Hamza Nisildrin, uh, <laughs> KJ Britt. These names are all making appearances, guys. You're going to have to go check it out: DraftTech.com. This is it. They they take all of this stuff that Dean brings to the table in terms of following scouting activity, and it it gives you a much more comprehensive mock draft than what I think you can get anywhere else. Chris, you know I hate mock drafts. You hate mock drafts. You hate hand size. I hate the combine. I hate all of this stuff, but I love the work Dean does because I, I've just looked at the numbers, worked with it, and found that a lot of it pays dividends in the end when you look at the post-draft results. I love it. Keep up the good work over there, Dean. Anybody who's Appreciate listening it. to this needs to go check it out. Why don't you tell them what you have coming up in the coming weeks? So we know that we're going to continue with the uh, interviews. We're working with a couple of people. Uh, Robin Mundy, who is also with BuffaloFanBase.com. We're about to enter the, the whole free agent fund, so we'll have a new draft up within 24 hours of, of every major trade. So that, that's kind of fun to follow at uh, Draft Tech. Dean Kindig, DraftTech.com. He's on Twitter at TCBills underscore Astro. Always a wealth of knowledge with what our scouts are doing, where they're going, who they're looking at, preferably linebackers. I love it. It's crazy. He's an older guy, and yet I find in him a kindred spirit because we agonize over the minutia of things that maybe it doesn't matter, but I'm going to chart it anyway. I'm going to make a graph. I'm just, Chris, I'm making a graph. This is how we do things. And I like that I have a fellow nerd in that respect who likes to just line up data and look at it and look for trends. Because sometimes, as we talked about, it pays dividends. Guys, hopefully you all learned a little something and you took some nuggets away that we can head towards the draft with. But we got to get the hell out of here. This is... (laughs) We've held you for too long. Before we do, AFC East Roundup this week featuring the New York Jets. 
That's dropping in about 24 to 48 hours, depending on when you listen to this podcast. Last week, we laid out the off-season foundation for the New England Patriots. It was a great conversation with Mark Schofield that involved a bit about Brady winning the ring. Does that put undue pressure on their organization to win? What does that do to Belichick's legacy? We talk about all that stuff. This week, we switch our focus to the New York Jets with Scott Mason of Play Like a Jet. Look at my counter over there. Do I have (laughs) enough alcohol to consume a Jets conversation? (laughs) You might. Maybe. I mean, I'm counting 1, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 19 bottles. Well, we're not in season, so it's mostly the bottles that are all the way to the left. Your your, uh, Knob Creek, the High West, the Southern Tier. Angel's Envy? I think I'm saving Angel's. I'll have Angel's Envy when we get Brett Coleman on. (laughs) Yeah, because you like to show off that you're fancy. So I can sip in his class. The Jets, folks, are probably the most interesting team in the AFC East this offseason. They've got to use their draft capital and cap space to pull themselves out of the NFL's basement. And there's more than, Chris, there's a dozen different storylines that's going to shape how they approach that. I mean, it's just, it's incredible that this could be the season that really makes or breaks that franchise. This offseason right here. They are, the Barry Horowitz has now become the bell of the ball. (laughs) Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Make sure you check it out in this week's AFC's Roundup. And thanks for showing up for this tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Dean Kindig. And this has been the Rockball Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.